0: Amen. Thank you, Jason. Zeta, otherwise known as? Jay-Z. It's going to stick. I'm going to keep doing that until people start calling you Jay-Z. So good to see you, church. Glad you're here. Good morning to you. Uh, If you're joining us online, we're glad you're able to connect this way. I know that sickness is running rampant, so glad we can serve families in that way. Uh, But it's not the same. We can't hug you through the screen. So virtual hug coming your way. Uh, Can't wait to see you when you're back. Um, Visitors, glad you're here. Uh, If I haven't had a chance to meet you, um, I'd love to meet you, not because I'm important, but because you're important. And if you're here today looking for a church home and wondering if this might be the place for you, I'll just go ahead and let you know what it's going to be like here. If you're looking for a place that is like uh, perfect and has it together and never messes up, um, this is not the place for you. Um, this is a space though however if you're looking for a place where you can show up as you are and you can bring your brokenness in you don't have to hide it um, a space where you can come in and just be known and whatever is going on in your life whether it's excitement and just gladness and and thankfulness or you're coming in struggling with doubt and fear and and grief this is a space for you to be known and to be accepted and so if you're looking for that church you may have found it I'm glad you're here Um, we are going to start a a new sermon series today and it's actually like a, a series of series uh, like so this is going to be part one for the next seven weeks and then we will move into part two and then part three um, looking at the greatest commandments and so really the framework for where we're going to be in the, over the next 18 weeks uh, comes from uh, the gospel of Mark chapter 12 where there's some religious leaders um, who are trying to poke holes in Jesus' teaching, trying to catch him saying something wrong or tripping up or making some kind of false claim about God so that they can then arrest him and then ultimately crucify him. Uh, It's in one of these conversations that um, a scribe uh, comes to Jesus and asks him this, this question. In Mark chapter 12, verse 28, it says this, that one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him. So he's like, okay, I've got one for you. And here's the question. Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Then without hesitation or being asked a follow-up question, he says this, the second one is this, you shall love the Lord, or you shall love your neighbor, no, we've already loved the Lord, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, the scribe was hoping that Jesus was going to, Give, a, give an answer that he could somehow turn around and use against Jesus, but what Jesus does is so beautiful. Um, on one hand, he just outlined the entire Ten Commandments, right? So the Ten Commandments begin with our love for God, right? We shall have no other gods before him, but then we'll end in our love for our neighbor, and so this is what Jesus has done. He has summed up the entire law with these two commandments. What we're going to do over the next 18 weeks is we're going to walk through the framework. Of loving God loving self loving neighbor and really we're gonna focus a lot on if we're gonna get to, to a place where we actually love God we need to get to a place where we actually know him and so really the question we're gonna be asking first is who is God if I'm called or commanded to love God with all that I am then I must first know who he is and we'll do this for the next seven weeks and then after that, we'll take a short break for Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. And then we'll come back and we'll look at this idea of what is man. So for the next seven weeks, what is God? And then we'll spend six weeks on what is uh, what is man or who is man. And then the last three weeks will be, well, who is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to be loving my neighbor as I love myself, who does that include and what does that look like? So that's going to be our journey this spring and starting today with the greatest commandments part one. Uh, we are going to look at this big question, who is God? And we're going to pick up an exodus where um, Jay-Z was reading earlier in verse 13. And I want you to have in mind your big questions for God, because your big questions may not be my big questions. Who is God? Where did he come from? What's he like? How, like, like, what happened before God, and, and what's going to happen after God, and what does that mean that God is, is eternal or, or all-powerful? So whatever your questions are, I want you to have those in mind. But we're going to step back into um, this passage from Exodus 3, and as we do so, what we're going to do is today is we're really going to try to look at a 30,000-foot view of God, like, like, the, like a big view of who God is. And as this series progresses, we're going to move from this big view of God towards an intimate view of God, okay? And so I want you to have that in mind. And there's a reason why we need to see God as both enormous, big, and intimate, one who can be known. Because see, it's pretty hopeless to have actually one or the other, right? So think about that. If God is just big, okay and all-powerful and like he keeps the universe working and, and and he's over the solar system like where does that give me hope in my daily struggles like that God surely is too busy to care about me but on the other hand if we only have in mind this view of God that is relational who's intimately involved in my daily activities and he's more like a friend then where's the hope in that when you get in that hard situation, right, how, how can that God help you if he's not also all-powerful? And so what we're going to do over the next seven weeks is we're going to see God um, as he is both ginormous, big, and at the same time intimately available to be known. And so we're going to start today here in verse 13, Exodus 3. The backdrop is the nation of Israel, has been in slavery now for several centuries. They are under Egyptian rule, and they have been oppressed by the Egyptians and treated harshly by the Egyptians. Uh, Their daily existence is making bricks so the Egyptians can build things. And so they have been crying out to God as they know him and understand him to to show up and rescue them, to relieve them, to, to, to deliver them from this oppressive slavery. And the end of Exodus 2 and then what we read in the beginning of Exodus 3 God shows up and says hey this is the intimate side of God I see your affliction and suffering I hear your cry for help and then he says I am about to deliver you now what happens is he chooses to use Moses and here Moses is at the burning bush mount sinai and god is calling moses to go be the spokesperson to the whole nation now what an intimidating position to be in and so moses's question to god is like okay like if i go do this they're gonna have questions like right like, how 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 am i going to convince them that you it was you who sent me and then he asked the question god if they ask me who sent me who do I say you are? And you can already feel that question connected to the question we're asking today. Who is God? In verse 13, we begin here. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, if I actually do this, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Today we're going to be looking at the significance of names and specifically the significance of God's names. And I was thinking about this uh, this morning. uh, I think it was Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet who wrote, um, What is a name? That which we call a rose by any other name should smell so sweet. And Shakespeare's argument is that names don't matter, that names are arbitrary. No matter what you call it, it's still going to smell like a rose. But for the Hebrew nation, that was not at all the way that they understood names. Names were incredibly significant. They carried meaning. So when Moses asked the question, who shall I say sent me, he's asking God, who are you? You think about how interacts with people in the Bible and how significant names are like starting with like Genesis 2 the first thing Adam is commissioned to do is to do what to name everything and it wasn't just a a, a fun pastime God says whatever he called it that's what it was like there was a, a power in giving something a name and then we see God interacting with the people of Israel in the same way, comes to Abram and changes his name to Abraham and to Sarah and changes her name to Sarah. Then comes to Jacob. Jacob gets a pretty good upgrade. If you don't know the story of Jacob, he's, he's the youngest of uh, twin brothers and uh, he came out of the womb kind of grabbing his brother's ankle and, and that was really indicative of, of the entire life struggle between two brothers. And so he's given the name Jacob, hill grabber, or one who wrestles with his brother. And then at a certain point, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And here's the upgrade. Now he is called one who contends with God. So he went from one who wrestles with his brother to now one who wrestles with God. We saw last week Jesus referring to Simon as Peter, giving him that name change. So with names in the Bible, like, it matters. I don't know if you know this or not, but the book of Revelation talks about you having a new name that God is actually has a name for you. So whatever your parents called you, um, as, as creative as it was or trendy as it was or as, you know, as, as sentimental as it was, maybe you got a family name, the God of heaven and earth is saying, hey, I actually have a name for you and for you alone that will, that will capture the essence of who you are. That's pretty cool. And so it's in that cultural context that Moses is asking God, what should we call you? Who am I going to say sent me? And God says to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you God also said to Moses say to the people of Israel the Lord the God of your fathers the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob he sent me to you this is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations so we're gonna be looking at what does this name say about God Now, if you're not aware, God goes by several names in the Bible. He calls himself by different names. He invites his people to call him by different names. And each name has a significant meaning and captures a piece or an essence of who God is and his character. And we'll give a few of these here from the Hebrew language. Um, Hebrew scholars, come check with me afterwards and you can correct me then, but we'll just roll with it for now. I'm not great with Hebrew. So here's one that you will come across in the Bible. El Elyon or Elyon. And this means God most high or the most high God. And so sometimes you'll see that phrase in English in your Bible. It's this Hebrew word. So this this word means something. It's describing a God who is is, is transcendent and high. So this name emphasizes God's supremacy over all lowercase gods and his ultimate authority over the world. Okay, another name for God is El Roy. This is the God who sees me. I love this one. There is a name for God that the Hebrews used, and when they used that name, what they were saying, you're the God who sees me. And this is associated with God's omnipresence and his omniscience, highlighting that God sees all human affairs and individual circumstances. You see how those two names work together? On one hand, I've got this God most high supreme over the entire created world, the maker of the heavens and earth, and he's also the same God who sees me. Like he's not too busy to see me. Another name for God in the Hebrew language is El Shaddai. Thanks to uh, some uh, mainstream Christian music, you may recognize this one, El Shaddai. Uh, This often translates as God Almighty or God All-Sufficient. So this name reflects God's power and sufficiency to meet the needs of his people. Um, Also, the idea that he doesn't need anything. He's sufficient in himself. So he doesn't require anything from the universe to exist like you and I do. Like, you require things. You know that, right? You're kind of high maintenance. Like, if we just took all the oxygen out of this room, we're all doomed. We are perpetually always needing something. God never needs anything. He is self-sufficient. Another one would be El Olam. This is the everlasting God or the God of eternity. This name underscores God's eternal nature and his existence beyond the bounds of time. But those aren't the names that God used here in this particular story, are they? When when asked the question, who should I say sent me, God answers with with the simplest of human answers. I am who I am. Three Hebrew words. The first and the last are the same, and they're just a simple verb that means be. Be. To be, And so it's actually in the first person singular future tense, which would be, I will be who I will be. Now, what an answer. Profoundly simple. Like, I can't imagine an English phrase that would be simpler than that. And yet, it tells us so much about who God is and captures the essence of who God is. I will be who I will be. I'm going to read just some, some sentences of commentary that um, I wrote down this week as I was, I was diving deep in study, like going after it, and the commentators are writing about this phrase and all that it implies about God. Here's just a few of the things that I gleaned this week. First of all, I noticed this, that this name does not identify God or try to define God by his attributes, actions, or his relationships, but by pure existence. All the other names of God capture a piece of who he is. This one just captures the essence of his being. Who he, like, like who he is at his core. So here's what it tells us. That whatever God is today, he has always been that and he will always be that. So as we move forward in this series and we begin to get to a space where we talk about things like God's kindness, for example. If, in fact, God has ever been kind, he is always kind. If God is kind today, he has always been kind, and he will always be kind. So whatever God is, that's what this name is saying to you and to me, whatever God is, he has always been that, and he will always be that. If God was just yesterday, he will be just today, and you can bet on it, he will be just today tomorrow. I will be what I will be. I will not change. I will be the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. Using human language in the simplest form, God is declaring his eternal self-existent nature that goes beyond our human categories. Is anybody's brain hurting yet? This is the idea of God is transcendent. He's not like us. So we do our best to understand him with human categories and words like kind and love and just and big. And, but those are our categories. And he's actually beyond that. Like those categories are insufficient. Not enough to fully capture who God is. And God is using our language to declare that he is not like us. That's really good news. That's really good news. I've got a lot of good friends in this world, and at the end of the day, they are not enough. I would argue I have the best wife in the room, the universe. She's amazing. But at the end of the day, she's not enough. Kids, I'll put my boys up against any kids anywhere, they're fantastic but they aren't enough. You and I need more than just other humans. And what God is saying is, hey, I'm not like you. And that's actually good news. Going further, this name declares that God is the ultimate being who who exists by his own power. He has no beginning. He has no end. And as the, um, the great apologists or philosophers will describe him, he is the uncaused causer. (laughs) Think about that one for a minute. The only being who can cause something to happen who he himself was not caused. Or the immovable mover. The only being, like you move things as a being in your world. Like you got in a car and put your foot on a pedal and it moved, you move things. But God is the only being who was unmoved as a mover of things. God is, in fact, the immovable mover. He is not dependent on anything or anyone for his existence or identity. This name, I am who I am, speaks to his relationship to his people. Think about that. Whatever he is to his people today, he has always been. So when you read about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the Old Testament, you're reading about your God, our God, the same God who's present in this room today. he is also the god who wants us to know him by name. This is a very intimate thing. Like his answer to Moses could have been Moses, even if I tell you what to call me you won't get it. So just go. But he answered the question. He wants you to know him by name. Think about that. And this is an invitation for for us as his people to be in a relationship with him, listen to this, that is marked with seeking and wonder and marvel and worship. It's a God who's too big for you to know, yet he wants you to know him, to seek after him. If if your mind is like hurting right now and you're like, gosh, I I can't imagine how big he is, like, that's good. He's simply saying to you, I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. I want to look at some other examples from Scripture now. We'll start in Genesis, go to Revelation, where God identifies himself or a person in the Bible identifies God in this way. I just want you to listen to these descriptions. And we'll start in actually Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 to try to get our minds wrapped around before anything existed, where was God? Genesis 1. Verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What existed before anything existed? God did. What was before that? God was. Moving to the Psalms, the psalmists try to capture this this idea of God being like transcendent of time. He's eternal. He goes as far forward as you can imagine, as far backwards as you can imagine in time. Psalm 90 verse 2 says this, Before the mountains were brought forth or you ever had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A few chapters later in the book of Psalms, Psalm 102 verse 24, listen to this description of God okay this this is gonna like this blows my mind the psalmist says this oh my God I say take me not away in the midst of my days you whose years endure throughout all generations of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. Did you hear that description of the created world, the heavens and the earth? As amazing as creation is, as big as the universe is that we don't even know how big it is, the psalmist says the entire universe is like a pair of jeans to you, God. You're going to wear them out, and then you're just going to be able to change clothes. Like, think about that. Scientists are still trying to figure out how old is the universe and arguing about how old the universe is and trying to get to the bottom of how, how old everything is and how big everything is. And the psalmist is like, I don't know, but I know however big it is and however old it is, it's like an old pair of jeans to God. He can, just, he can just take them off and put on a new pair of jeans tomorrow and start, all over, start this whole thing all over again and go just as long and just as big. And Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now I want to give you, um, we're going to look at some names of Jesus as well And then I'm going to give you one story to to hopefully make this incredibly um, applicable to your life today. Okay? But as you move into the Gospel of John, um, John is going to identify Jesus with similar words. And I'll give you some examples. We'll put these up on the screen. If you want to take a picture, you can do that. Here are some of the names that um, Jesus says, or some of the things that Jesus says about himself. He says, I am the bread of life. This was a name Jesus gave to himself. It's from John six thirty five. Another one is this, I am the light of the world from John 8, 12. You get to John 10, I am the door of the sheep. And just a few verses later, I am the good shepherd. This is what we went through in men's and women's ministry this past fall, looking at God as the good shepherd. Later on in John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 15, I am the true vine. And I would say most significantly in John 8, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, what does that mean for us then as his people? How does that impact the way we relate to him and how he relates to us? On one hand, our view of God is growing, hopefully. It's expanding. Like, however big I thought he was, he's actually bigger than that. But how could a God that big care about me and the details of my life? I'll share a story, and this is one of dozens of stories that I could share from my own journey and relationship with God. This one just happened like a week and a half ago, so it's fresh on my mind. Um, So uh, a couple of uh, Mondays ago, um, I was doing a little side project on my days off sometimes I do some little construction jobs and do some some welding and fabrication of steel and so I was I was actually on the last kind of moment in one of those jobs I had a couple things I needed to install but I had built them at my house and so there was I was worried that they weren't all going to fit once I got to the actual project and not only that this particular day was the last um, basketball game of my youngest son and I've missed a couple games throughout the season but I didn't want to miss the last one so I was on a tight time crunch. I needed everything to fit perfectly in order to do the thing I really wanted to do, which was go cheer my son on and watch him crush it in basketball. And so I get to the project, and I've only got a couple of hours, and first one fits, second one fits. Everything's just working, clicking. I'm like, yes, I'm gonna make it to the basketball game, until I get to the last one, right? And so I get to the last one, and sure enough, there was one piece of steel that wasn't long enough. Now, if it was too long, we can, we can trim that up, we can modify it, and we can make it work. But in this picture, it wasn't long enough. And so I began to feel this kind of like angst and anxiety in my body. Like, I'm not gonna make it on time. I have to finish this today. But if I stay, it's gonna take me about two hours to build another one of these. I'm not gonna make it to my son's basketball game. And so this angst kind of welled up, and I began to pray, and it wasn't even in, like, complete sentences. Like, I didn't just, you know, I was just like, oh, God, if we could, if I could just find a little piece of steel to fit, if I could, God, if you could just help me out, like, like, I just was praying like that, you know, kind of anxious prayer and where it's just kind of angsty. And I'll tell you what I needed. In that moment, what I needed in order to finish that little project and make it to um, Calvin's basketball game was this. I needed a piece of steel that was eight inches long, three-eighths of an inch wide and one-eighth of an inch thick that's exactly what I needed and if I had that I had enough time to weld that in the gap finish up the project make it to the game so as I'm walking from the back porch of this house back to where my trailer is where all my scrap metal is that's where I'm beginning to think if I could find that I'll still make it to Calvin's game but what what are the chances of that like what's the probability that I'm actually gonna find that? So I walk up to the welding trailer and I've got all these scraps I'm, I'm really kind of going for plan B. So I'm never gonna find what I need. So what's something else that might work? And I'm looking through the scrap pile and I see a piece of metal sticking out from underneath some, some other steel. And I'm like, Nah. there's no way. And so I kind of step towards it. I'm like, I'm gonna go ahead and just approve, just right? That this is not a miracle. I'm just going to pull it out, and it's going to be, you know, not what I need. As I'm pulling this thing out, two inches, three inches, four inches, six inches, eight inches, and I look at this piece of steel that is eight inches long, three-eighths of an inch wide, and one-eighth of an inch thick. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, where are the cameras? This is going to show up in a sermon. This is big time. Because in that moment, not only did I feel just the power of, that miraculous moment, but I felt incredibly seen and incredibly loved by God, my father, who knew at the end of the day, this was not about a piece of metal finishing a job. It was making it to where I really wanted to be, which was my son's basketball game. And here I am just in wonder and awe and amazement going, man, you are a good God. And so sure enough, I try it out. It fits. I weld it up. I'm done in time to run home, grab a shower, change clothes, and walk into the gym as they're warming up. Now I've got dozens of those kinds of stories from my own personal relationship with this God. You see, all the way home from that moment, as I was driving home, I began to think about, how did that piece of metal get there? And then I remembered, back in October, so several months ago, I was doing a different job, and I had a piece of steel that was too long, and it was three-eighths of an inch too long. And I trimmed off the piece of steel, and the the little three-eighths of an inch piece of steel fell on the ground. I can remember thinking, Should I throw that in the trash or throw it on the trailer? And I don't know. In that moment, I didn't feel or hear the voice of God. There was no burning bush going, you're going to need that later. But as I picked it up and threw it into the trailer, there was a loving God who was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, who looked forward and knew I was going to need that in a really special, critical moment in my journey. That's the provision of a God who doesn't change who is the same yesterday, four months ago in October, the same today, and he'll be the same for always. He didn't just care about me in that moment. That moment was an expression of his care for me my entire life. That same God sees you. That same God knows you. And he is intimate enough to pay attention to every detail and he's also powerful enough to do something about it. I want to end here with um, reflection questions and I'm going to walk through them a little slower than we normally do because this is where we're going to start to apply this truth to our daily lives. This is a community group week and so community groups um, you're going to be pulling this conversation into homes and different spaces this week talking more about what does this mean that this transcendent God, who doesn't need anything from me, actually cares about me? And so here's the first question that I want to ask you: Do you believe that God is the same today as He has always been and always will be? Does your view of God ebb and flow? Some days you're like, oh, he gets me. He loves me. He sees me. And other days you're like, oh, he forgot me again. At the core of your belief, do you believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and always? Here's the second question. Think about the story I shared, and I wonder if you have ever been caught off guard like that. Has God ever caught you off guard by providing something in your life before you needed it or asked for it you see in, 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 in one sense that piece of metal could have just appeared out of thin air and that still would have been a pretty loving God but this is a loving God who months ago knew what I was going to need and provided it has God ever caught you off guard like that provided what you need and when you looked at what he provided you're like you've been thinking about this for a while Here's the third question. This is one I hope you'll take into your community group conversations. If this is who God is, then how can you grow in your relationship with the God who is eternal and transcendent? If God's really that big, then how can you get to know him? Is he standing off at a distance or is he inviting you to draw near? And then this last question. In what practical ways can we respond to God's invitation to know him as the great I am? I want to end here and just say this. I, I believe that you, you are here on purpose today. That you being here today, regardless of why you think you're here, it may just be because my wife would not leave me alone. Or I told this guy at work I would be there and I know if I don't show up, he's going to ask me. Maybe something else brought you here today. But ultimately, I believe you're here today as as God's providential plan for your life. He knew you needed something. And what you need today is probably different from what I need, but God has shown up to give us both what we need today. And so you may be here today, and and you don't have a relationship with God. And you're like, how do I even get that? Like, What does that even mean? how could a God that big, like, want to spend time with me? Like, that just seems so, so far off. It's so scary, and and so I would just draw our attention to the cross for a moment. If you're sitting there, and you're thinking about the idea of getting to know God, and that scares you, or your mind immediately begins to race with excuses, like, he wouldn't care about me, and even if he did, there's no way I could be good enough to get into heaven, so, like, I'd have to stop sinning right now and spend the whole rest of my life trying to pay God back and here's what I want you to hear. Hey, here's, here's the first piece of good news today. You are not enough. Oh, I wanted you to tell me more than that. No, you are not enough and this is, this is my way of letting you off the hook of, of just admitting what we all know is true. You are not enough and the person you came with is not enough. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is more than enough. Whatever God requires of you to want to hang out with you, to want to spend time with you, to want to be in relationship with you for forever, Jesus has done it. So God's saying, hey, if you want a relationship with me and you want to live with me forever, if you want to make it into heaven, what I need from you is perfect morality. The vast majority of of us in the room are going, well, I'm kind of sunk then. I would never be able to accomplish that. Jesus was like, I know, here's the, cool. I did that for you. That was, that was the point. Like I took on flesh and dwelt among you to live perfectly on your behalf so that you could make it into heaven so that you could have a relationship with my father. You're like, ah, oh, even if I, even if I quit sinning today, I don't know if I have enough days left to like pay God back for all of my sins. And Jesus is like, I know, that's, that's why the cross was so bloody, we just took communion together, reminding us of this painful, expensive sacrifice of Jesus. Like, I know we dress it up with cup and bread, but you realize that what that symbolizes? Jesus, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, on purpose going to the cross for you. Do, you. do you know what that was about? He was paying a price. He was saying, there's no way you can pay my Father back. Let me do it for you. The good news of the gospel is that in you're not enough Jesus is more than enough. And so for you today to have a relationship with God means taking a step of faith towards Jesus. I don't care if you're four years old or 98 years old. It requires taking a step of faith and believing that Jesus is who he says he is and he did what he said he did and that all you have to do, this is his promise, is call on his name. Jesus, save me. So if that's you today I hope you'll take that step of faith if you need somebody to talk with you or help you with that and we have prayer partners at the end of the service they came today looking for somebody looking for them they're here for you they would love to pray with you and talk with you about making this decision if you need to ask questions about the church or anything else going on like grab an elder we've got elders and pastors here today um, wearing lanyards so out in the commons or in here grab one of us We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. If you want to stand and sing in a minute as we respond, do that. If you want to stay seated and pray, do that. But here's my invitation. Would you at least spend this time in whatever form you want to take reflecting on this truth that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that God wants to have a relationship with you. He's the God who sees you. Let's pray together. Um, Father, I thank you that while it is impossible in our human strength to comprehend you, to get to the bottom of you, to ever get to a space where we have figured you out, at the same time, you are a God who reveals himself to us. Father, you have revealed yourself to us through the scripture that we would know what you're like and we would know what to call you. You've revealed yourself through Jesus when he came to earth. We, we know what you're like because we know what he's like. And God, even now in this room, your spirit is revealing to us who you are and what you are like. So Father, may we today, each one of us, take a step of faith towards you some of us for the first time some of us for the thousandth time because you are a God who invites his people to draw near Jesus we love you we pray this in your name amen